This sermon was recorded at Church of the Ascension, an Anglican parish in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, whose mission is to be a worshipping community that equips God's people and shares Christ's healing with a broken world. For more information, please visit ascensionpittsburgh.org. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this reading this morning from the Gospel of Matthew. I pray that you would speak to us powerfully through it by your Spirit, in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm sure we've all encountered men who are described as the strong, silent type, something I've never been accused of. But, but it would perhaps be an appropriate description for Joseph, a man who surely was strong and dependable, and I think of him as being quiet, but certainly not a pushover. Perhaps the most underappreciated character in the New Testament is Joseph, the husband of Mary, the earthly adoptive father of Jesus. Joseph is easy to leave out and overlook. Joseph is only mentioned a very few times in the gospel. He's not mentioned by name at all in Mark's gospel. And this strong, silent man at the manger seems somehow not as important as the other folks that are there. But in today's account in Matthew's gospel, we see that Joseph was a crucial character. He had a vital part to play in God's plan. He was, we could, we might say, the best supporting actor. We also see a depth of love and character in this man, which I hope will inspire us all. So what do we know about Joseph? Well, we know he was a carpenter and that he lived in a small and rather unimpressive village. We also know something about his family tree. The angel in our text addresses Joseph as son of David. In chapter 1 of Matthew, the lineage of Jesus is traced through Joseph back to David and Abraham. And while Joseph was not the biological father of Jesus, he did adopt Jesus as his son. And the prophets had foretold that the coming Messiah would be born of the line of David. And Joseph, from that lineage, becomes the adopted father of the Messiah. And it is Joseph to whom the angel comes with the name. It's Joseph who is told, you're to call your boy Jesus, which means rescuer or savior. We also know that Joseph was engaged to be married. He was engaged to Mary. And in those days, betrothal was much more than our present-day engagement. Betrothal really was the first step of marriage. And ending a betrothal relationship was only um, possible either by the death of one of the parties or by a divorce. The betrothed man was already technically husband to the betrothed woman. And St. Matthew tells us before they lived together, she was found to be with child. We don't know the details of how Joseph first heard that Mary was pregnant. Perhaps it simply became obvious. Perhaps Mary told him. Maybe she tried to explain to him how it all happened and 
and what she'd heard from an angel. But if she did, it seems that Joseph didn't believe her, at least not initially. Young, sweet, innocent Mary was pregnant. Joseph must have been devastated. He probably felt deeply hurt, confused, and angry. This was something that would bring great shame and humiliation on him and on his family. Well, we really start to learn quite a lot about Joseph as we see how he handled this very difficult situation. And according to the law of the day, he had a choice. He had two options. Option one was to bring charges against Mary in public and accuse her of adultery. This could ultimately have resulted in her death, for the Jewish law called for death penalty by stoning in such cases. That's option one. Option two, also permitted by the law, was to divorce her privately. In the, pres <clears throat> in the presence of two witnesses, he could write out a certificate of divorce and present it to her. This wouldn't necessitate pressing charges against her. Well, Joseph didn't try and get revenge. He didn't trash talk Mary around the village. He didn't run away furious, refusing to deal with the situation. No, what he did was he acted honorably, decisively, and with compassion and mercy. I wonder, how do we act when we perceive a great injustice has occurred, or we think there has been some immoral behavior in the family, or against you, or in our church family. I know what can happen and what sometimes happens. Tongues can start to wag, and people take sides, and half-truths are told. Or if nothing is said, then something fills the vacuum. One person confides in another, and then they confide in the next person. And someone says, I want you to pray about this. And it goes like wildfire. And before long, there are casualties, left, right, and center. Now, we don't know what happened in the village. I, I, I dare say there was talk. But Joseph, the man who has, or would appear to have been, principally sinned against, is unwilling to get sucked into any of it. Matthew tells us in verse 19, Joseph, being a righteous man and unwilling to expose her to public disgrace, planned to dismiss her quietly. Joseph, being a righteous man. What should a righteous man do? After all, Joseph was in the right he could demand justice for himself and his family, his reputation, his village, the synagogue, etc. But note this, the unborn child at the center of this scandal was the one of whom the prophet Isaiah had written, I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice. And I wonder then, what does justice look like? What does that righteousness look like? Is it judgment? Is it condemnation? Is it finger-pointing? According to Isaiah chapter 42, it looks like this. A bruised reed he will not break, and a dimly burning wick he will not quench. 
Joseph, being a righteous man and unwilling to crush a bruised reed, unwilling to quench a dimly burning wick, unwilling to expose Mary to public disgrace, planned to dismiss her quietly, even though at this stage, as far as he knew, Mary was manifestly not an innocent virgin. Far from it. But before he acted upon his plan, he decided to sleep on it. That, by the way, is a very good model for us to follow when facing big decisions or tempted hastily to press the send button on a difficult email. You see, Joseph's plan was a perfectly reasonable, humble, human plan. But it was not God's plan. Discerning and following God's plan, of course, is not easy. It's not easy for any of us. And I suspect that sometimes we want to be 100% certain before we take a step of faith. But that's rarely what we see in the scriptures. What more typically happens is that God calls us to take the next right step. That was true of Abraham. It's true of Moses. It was true we could go on and on down the line. You know, we we like to, to talk about our lives as a journey of faith, while not actually wanting to exercise any faith. We just want to get on with the journey. But faith is is less something that we possess and then apply, and more something that we practice as we live. Faith is lived out as we walk, as we journey, as we take the next steps. And we see this time and time again. You know, I think of the of the the account of the people of Israel. They've come out of Egypt. They've been 40 years in the wilderness. They're on the edge of the promised land. They're about to cross the river Jordan. And there's a great big procession. And the priests go first. But the priests who are leading the way step into the river Jordan before it has stopped flowing. They take that next step. The 10 lepers whom Jesus healed, we had it a few uh, months ago, were healed as they went, not before they went. And Joseph stands by Mary before he knows, really, or understands what on earth or heaven is going on. I mean, I wonder, when did he really know that the baby she was carrying was conceived by the Holy Spirit and not some other man? We don't know. And very often, God will reveal enough for us to take the next step though we may have many, many unanswered questions. I was listening to a podcast this past week by Ruth Haley Barton in which she suggested an Advent practice of relinquishing our own plans. That's what Joseph did with his plan. When it became clear that what he resolved to do, divorce her quietly, did not correspond with what God was doing. He relinquished his plan, that plan which was reasonable, humble, but human. I wonder, where might you be called to relinquish your reasonable, humble, human plan and instead embrace God's plan? 
And, and those kinds of relinquishments may be very small, may be very everyday, may be very ordinary, and sometimes they can be big life events. Well, Joseph paused before acting, and it was while he slept that an angel appeared to him, and Joseph listened to what the angel said. He was open to hearing God. How easy it is for us to forge ahead, depending on reason and our own wisdom, without taking that time to pause and wait and listen and be silent. Mary and Joseph both had to relinquish and lay aside their own plans and dreams and expectations for what God had asked them to do. Not an easy thing. At the heart of God's plan, of course, is the baby. The angel comes to Joseph and says, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And the angel goes on to tell Joseph how this was to fulfill what God had spoken through the prophet Isaiah. Look, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. And so when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel had told him to do. He went ahead and married Mary, though he had no marital relations with her until after Jesus was born. Joseph didn't marry Mary because he had ironclad proof that her child was conceived of the Holy Spirit. Rather, he took the next step of obedience and married her on the basis of his faith and trust in what the angel had told him. And what the angel had said, accorded with, agreed with, the promises of God. God had promised to send a savior and Joseph was willing to trust in the promise and the hope that this child offered. I wonder how do you hear and respond to God? You know, most of us don't get angelic visitations or miraculous signs to prove beyond the shadow of doubt that this or that is the way to go. But like Joseph, we can choose to trust God even in the face of uncertainty. And like Joseph, we can choose to play our part in God's plans. Jesus still longs to come to us, to be born in us, to be with us. But we need to cooperate. He is not coercive. We need to be willing to respond to his calling. And that calling may be to love the unlovely, to remain faithful, to eat humble pie, to take a stand when you know you'll be judged for it or hated for it, to share Christ's word in action or in words with your neighbor. How will you respond to God's call on your life? Will you, will I, allow Jesus to have the very first place, the very first place in our hearts and in our homes? 
And often the starting point for this can be our willingness to face the truth about ourselves and our relationships with one another and our relationships with God. So next time you you see a Christmas card with Joseph on it or you hear his name, take a moment to, to reflect on his life and the challenge that he presents to us. The challenge for us to be open, to be vulnerable, and to be willing to be changed by God. And the wonderful, wonderful news today is that Jesus is God with us. And he helps us to open our hearts to him. Then as we learn to listen and respond, Jesus is born again and again afresh in our hearts and lives. May this be so for each one of us in these last few days of Advent and in all the days ahead. Amen.